Meditation. 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 Depending on the quality of my mind. You know, there's good days and bad days. I mean, I feel like the waterfall of thoughts. Every now and then, a nice calm. I can't think of anything. This is Meditation in the City. The Shambhala New York Podcast. And I'm Dave, your host. Thank you for listening to the podcast yet again. Today on the podcast, Maho Kawachi gives a talk that was recorded at our weekly Dharma gathering uh, just a couple weeks ago. This is about being upright without being uptight. Sometimes we're so focused on the content of our message that uh, it's important to also remember the manner of our message and the way we manifest and how we communicate. That can be just as vitally important, if not more important, than the actual words that we say. So that is the topic of today's talk, all about how meditation can help us infuse a certain vitality and uh, genuineness in how we communicate. Visit our website, nyadoptionbala.org, for all of our upcoming courses and weekend retreats. Uh, in particular, our introductory meditation course, which is called Meditation in Everyday Life, is coming up in a few weeks. We have a daytime uh, version of the course beginning June 5th and an evening weeknight version beginning June 7th. It's four weekly courses. Uh, you learn everything you need to establish a home meditation practice with confidence, upright, but not uptight, about how you meditate at home. For more information and to register, click the link on the homepage, ny.chambala.org, Meditation in Everyday Life. Okay, here is Maho Kawachi. By now... Most of you have heard or had a chance to watch and listen the speech by Miss Emma Gonzalez at the March of Our Life, Lives in DC. I watched on the TV. Her speech is not my topic for the night, but um, it was something so memorable. And I really need to remind myself from time to time when you make a speech like this. Content and message are the most important things But the way you deliver and you show up in front of people, in front of audience, is equally important. How you communicate within yourself and how you communicate to others, really matter. And in a way, this kind of speech, inside, outside, together, are so similar when you meditate. So having said that, upright, but not uptight. 
Um, I often use this phrase uh, when I instruct meditation, especially for the beginners. It is surely indicate the posture you take. You know, instead of having like unnecessary and unnatural straight back, you have the feeling of uprightness with the natural curve of your spine. And in a way, we feel the natural flows of energy inside, outside, up and down. You feel this healthy dignity on the cushion or chair, effortless, natural awakenment. And it signifies your attitude toward the meditation. In Buddhism, I find this upright but not uptight is close enough to say not too tight not to lose. So tonight I would like to speak about how to manifest upright but not uptight in the light of not too tight, not too loose. So many of you have heard this term not too tight, not too loose. Um, it's a, an advice from Buddha Shakyamuni to his students. This monk named Sono, he's a very uh, earnest and hardworking monk, and he was so inspired by meditation, so he started meditating very diligently. So much so, um, he did walking meditation vigorously. In the end, his feet cracked and started breathing. Well, he was very upset about that. And in a way, sucks, you know? I did so much of this meditation very diligently, vigorously. My feet is painful and I haven't achieved enlightenment yet. So he complained to Buddha this is not working, I'm going to quit. <laughs> so, Buddha understand 
his flagellation. So I asked him, Sono was a um, musician, I mean, he played um, veena, which is like a um, string instrument, looks like a lute. So I asked him, so Sono, when do you, you tighten the string of veena? very extremely tight, tight, tight. Does it work? So Sono said, no. If you tighten up too much, then the string breaks. And Buddha asked him again, so Sono, if you loosen up this string very loosely, what's going to happen? Sono said, it doesn't work either because Veena doesn't make a sound or doesn't hit the right code. So Buddha said to him, okay, like that, not too tight not too loose. That's the attitude toward practice. Always try to find just the right amount of effort. That's the way it goes. I remember when I started meditation, actually before Shambhala, I started meditation around 2000. Probably five, uh, first five years or so, I only meditate 10 days a year. <laughs> um, Basically, I was a so-called retreat meditator. You know what I mean. I only went to 10-day retreat. It's very vigorous. You start sitting like 6 in the morning until 5, 6 in the evening. Um, twice a meal a day. No talking at all, no uh, exercise, no walking meditation, no reading, no communicating with outside. But by the end of the 10 days actually, I felt so light. And it was a really great feeling I had. Oh yeah, I'm on the right path. But of course, I didn't meditate the rest of the year, which is 355 days, right? 
So by the end of the uh, 355 days, um, I felt really wobbly. So next year I had to start from the scratch. <laughs> so it's really too tight and too loose. So the truth was somewhere in between. You have to do it every day or every other day, even 10 minutes. Just do it. Right amount, right? But actually, if you think about it, about it, it is so easy to um, get into this extreme attitude in practice and even to our everyday life too. Does any of you have this tendency of filling up your scheduled calendar so much so and you notice actually you do not have time to do everything and double booking and everything and in the last minutes just overwhelmed by this situation and you cancel everything and feeling defeated. <laughs> when you take too tight approach like this, it suggests that you have a bit of aggression toward yourself and to the circumstances. I need more or um, I need to do it in a different way. Um, this is not the right thing. I need to change the situation. This is not good enough. Or I'm not good enough. So in a way, we keep rejecting the current situation as well as, as, well as ourselves so that we want something else. On the other hand, um, too loose attitude suggests that you are giving up or you are ignoring the current situation or your feeling or yourself. It's a sort of the attitude of withdrawal and disengagement. In a way, the attitude is an escape from one's life. Any of you have experienced before during the meditation that one day you can't follow your breath at all and it's really boring. So you just gave up everything and whole session just to daydreaming. Anybody? <laughs> I did. 
So when you see these two, two attitudes closely, too tight attitude is fundamentally you distrust yourself. You distrust even the fundamental human nature. And on the other hand, too loose attitude is ignoring your experience and just try to escape. So, where is the middle way, by the way? Actually, the middle way, not to lose, not to tight. There is no, like, it, it's easy to say black and white, right? But the gray zone is gray zone. Could be a, what's it called? 30 shapes of shades of gray, oh, sorry, <laughs> something like that. So many layers, and I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Um, actually, the middle way path is not defined tangibly. Um, the middle point is hard to define. There's no one way, so much range, right? But the point is, you will know when you feel, okay, this seems to be fine. I'm okay with this. Instead of, I need to change. Or I give up, give up. Something, okay, let's just do it. Okay, feels okay. I'm okay. Um, I had an um, interesting encounter as, for my job <laughs> um, last week. Actually, Joy knows that story. Um, I met a monk from Japan. So this guy is supposed to be superhero in Japan because he achieved or finished this incredible uh, practice, almost like a ultimate penance. And within his lineage, he is the second person to achieve that level in 1300 years. So what he did was, you don't have to follow, okay? Um, for nine years, every year for four months, from May to September, 120 days straight, he had to walk 30 miles in the mountain. No trails, basically it's like animal trails. Um, he started three in the morning, walking up to the mountain top and coming back 
around 3.30 in the afternoon. So basically he walked 12 hours a day. And his, he was just allowed to have one bottle of water and two bowls of rice. That's the day of his allowance. And next day, he does the same thing. He doesn't live in a luxury place, just a small hut for himself. So everything has to be done by himself. He cook, he clean, and everything. So after nine years, he is now going to this nine days of non-eating, non-drinking, non-lying down, non-sleeping for nine days straight, 24-9 of chanting. And after that, he had to go 100 days of giving puja, if you know this um, basically um, praying um, 12 hours a day. And during this puja time, he cannot drink, he cannot eat. So after 10 years, he achieved, or he got this super title called Super Acharya, so to say. It's like Uber Acharya or something like that. So in his lineage, He's the second person to get it. So I asked him, well, you are Buddhist, but where is the middle way? I mean, Buddha says, don't torture yourself, wasn't it? I mean, it's almost like you are killing yourself. It's not the middle way. Now, what do you think? So he said, well... (laughs) In his explanation, he, in his um, interpretation, what he meant by is, don't kill yourself. So it's really extreme, sounds like, but at least he survived. And probably for this very severe, very ultimate penance, it's a really the lineage through this practice. They try to cut the ego. We did, we do in Shambhala. We don't do that, but there is many ways to do it. And he said to me, "Well, actually." If you are addicted to this practice, that's not good. So you really have to be aware what you are doing. Also, his teacher told him, even it sounds like too extreme, because this practice is planned and exercised by people, which means there is a certain format. And if you follow the protocol, 
you are not going to die. Well, it's not my cup of tea, but in his lineage and in his thought, this is still a middle way. So again, the middle way can be anywhere. But you will know when to stop, when to go. That's the point. So one keeps the discipline very well, and at the same time, one is very flexible and wholesome. That is a feeling of not too tight, not too loose. Upright, but not uptight. Roshi Suzuki, who is a Zen master in San Francisco, once he told to the students, each one of you is perfect the way you are, and you can use a little improvement. So when you find yourself, you are too tight. Remember that we all have this human worthiness, fundamentally, and we don't need to this ourselves, as we have perfect already, perfection already. When you find yourself too loose or too loopy, then remember we still need to dust off ourselves to shine this human nature. So I'd recommend you that this week and following week try to find or try to catch yourself when you are too tight or too loose. And without beating up yourself, can you introduce upright but not uptightness attitude to yourself? This is my recommendation. Now, I have to drop a name, big time. So, I've met Dalai Lama in March, in person. So it's in a way, for me at least, it was a dream come true moment. As a Vajrayana student myself, he's the biggest boss. I'm sorry. <laughs> he's the biggest boss in my life. And I have a tremendous respect and appreciation to him. 
Seeing him in person was stunning. Um, it is not just his big story, background, or his title, achievement, but his presence and his each action are just so real. When he talks to you, he is with you 100%. He really talks to you. And when you listen, when he listens to, when he listens to you, he is always present and really, really listens to you. You feel his compassion, kindness, and his fundamental confidence and respect to others completely. And his presence and action, moment by moment, embodies awakened being. You know, enlightenment or cessation of uh, sufferings or emptiness or luminosity, you've heard those things. And you understand theoretically and sometimes you feel this glimpse of this teaching. Sometimes in your guts you feel it. But it's really rare to see somebody is really embodying this truth or teaching. So His Holiness really showed me probably what this awakenment is all about. Mindfulness and awake, uh, awareness go together. That makes my mind away, my blown away. And He does so effortlessly. But the most striking point, or maybe um, something I truly appreciate, is here is this another human being. And he showed me this possibility of awakening. He's not the God. He's not gonna last forever. He's another human being. Of course, he practices and he has this amazing incarnation and everything, but yet he's uh, another human being like ourselves. 
So this possibility of anybody, possibility of awakenment in human human being was the most appreciative and important teaching for me. So again, coming back to Emma Gonzalez, sorry about that again. Her presence and what she wanted to deliver. She didn't go, she didn't go to this extreme of just talking, talking, talking. She gave this four minutes of pause, silence. And in a way, let you think about it. She knows what she was doing. And not too tight, not too loose. Very provocative. But this is something you really need to think about. The way you present yourself, the way you communicate, So Dalai Lama and Super Chalier, Emma Gonzalez. <laughs> That's my tonight's story. Thank you. Um, I just wanted to highlight that the word trust um, rang out to me when you said it about trusting yourself, trusting your practice. And I just want to ask what that word means to you or what that trust in your practice means to you. Trusting practice is much easier than trusting myself. Well, it comes to the point of the Shambhala's, you know, the first teaching of uh, have you taken level one yet? No, okay. Um, that's going to be next, no, in two weeks. Um, the David Perrin is going to teach. The Sham in Shambhala Center, we have this first teaching is about we all have basic goodness, so-called, which is more like human worthiness, natural awaken nature of human beings. And do we trust this? Do I trust this? That's the biggest obstacle for many people. And frankly speaking, someday I still have doubt to be honest with you. 
But coming back to Dalai Lama's, Dalai Lama's, you know, my meeting, there is a person who is really, in a way, manifests this teaching. So maybe at this point I have my doubt and then difficulties with me. But probably I'm on my way to really trust or really feel, yeah, I'm convinced I trust myself. So does it answer your question? Thank you. Every time you talk, it's very peaceful. Like how you were describing Dalai Lama, I felt that from you, like that grace and that peacefulness. I was, I, I thought of so many different things when you were talking. Like when you were talking about the, the Japanese guy who reached that <laughs> pinnacle, that was cool. And I thought about like the middle path and um, you said that the middle path is like, um, it could be anything, so it could be extreme. It could be loose, but it could be it's whatever you're comfortable with. Yeah, and I thought that was interesting because that reminds me of like emptiness in the mind and everything. And emptiness could be pretty much like anything. Like so the middle path could be emptiness, which could be anything. And then you were you're talking about something else too. Um let me see if I can remember. Um Oh, the Dalai Lama. And you were talking about how graceful he was and how, that presence. And then you mentioned something about he's not God and all that. He's a human being like you and me. And I was just wondering, so who are we then? <laughs> you know, if somebody could reach such a pinnacle in life. And I was wondering, because you mentioned trust, he mentioned trust. I was wondering if, if we project these real, this reality, right? And the Dalai Lama is presented to you or to me, or you're presented to me, what does that say about the person seeing it and perceiving it? I'm asking you that. Well, he's already 82. I have a long way to achieve that level, maybe. Long, long way, maybe not this lifetime, I don't know. The good thing about Buddhism is we always have, can come back to the life again and again, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm not in a rush. Well, if I can enlighten my, myself in this lifetime, great, but I don't know, and it's okay. To me, the, um, at least I feel I'm on the right path. It's much more important. So Dalai Lama, you know, 100 miles away, okay. But still, there is a human being who did this. So in a way, I can follow, right? Okay. Mm -hmm. um, something that stuck out to me when you were describing the Dalai Lama was uh, his simultaneous confidence and respect for others, and um, a state of 
confusion that I find myself in a lot of times is that those things sometimes seem opposed in my own life. Hmm. And I was wondering if you've experienced that, and if so, what tools you have um, for untangling that confusion. Uh, can you tell me how two things are conflicting or opposing? Um, confidence or respect for self versus respect for other people. Um, and how sometimes in extending yourself to other people out of a perceived respect, you feel like you're somehow betraying your own sense of self-respect or other times when you're striving to honor that respect you have for yourself that you fall short for other people. Oh, okay. Um, but if you don't have confidence in you at all, can you really extend your kindness or compassion to others? In other words, if you are too wobbly, what you are doing is wobbly. When you are ground around yourself firmly and be okay with yourself, then you can help person. Um, Another big master, Karmapa, sorry, <laughs> Karmapa said, to warm other people's hands, your hands has to be warm. So, if you don't have any trust in you or confidence in you, how can you trust others? So I'm not saying that you really have to be arrogant to yourself, you know, arrogant, and then, oh, I'm the number one, you are not. It's not that trust or confidence. It's more like, I'm okay, I'm on the right path, I'm on the middle way. And if you see other people, and they are, also the same human beings. So it's almost like um, we are on the same path. We, are, we walk together. That kind of attitude. That, does it make sense? Yeah, thank you. I'll ask a question. Okay. <laughs> Um, the, the teaching about um, trusting yourself um, and, and the middle way, um, I think there are times when 
the attitude towards my practice can be that if, if I'm looking forward to being on the cushion, then um, something's not quite right. That, um, that in some ways I need to make room for the discomfort of um, sitting you know, sitting with myself, and um, there are positive aspects to like, you know, feeling your body and feeling your breath, but I feel that the further one can practice, that um, you can begin to see the nature of reality and see, see how others are indeed suffering and um, the cushion is not uh, meant to take me away from that, but to sort of be with it with no sort of judgment. Um, so I was wondering if you could speak to that in terms of you know this middle way, because I feel like a lot of practitioners can just sort of look to the cushion as like, you know, I want to be comfortable and not engage. Mm. Okay, I'm bringing one uh, catchphrase from other place. <laughs> Do you know uh, Interdependence Project, which Ethan Nickturn started? Well, um, it says, sit down and rise up. Anyway, um, so sit down is not actually so comfortable. I mean, from time to time it is. Sure, it settles down your mind and really feeling refreshed. So, of course, the aspect of comforting, like coming back to home, home ground, good. But at the same time, as you said, when you start work on your mind, things comes up, you know, you are, could be your emotions, could be the reality, like you said, there are so many things going on in this world and it affects you, of course, heartbreaking. And sometimes if you practice like Tonglen or loving kindness, you really feel this heartbreaking moment hard. But the point is, can you stay with it without being dragged by that experience? Can you stay on the cushion or chair even though you cry with your heartbreaking experience? 
Can you stay without being a slave of your emotion? And once you start understanding the your how your mind works. In a way, you can, you, you have this muscle of being okay with that. I'm not saying neglecting or ignoring the reality or experience, but you are not swayed away by the conditions. So, middle way, not just you know, breaking down and crying and being in a depressed mode or just agitating everything and I can't, you know, stand this. I'm going to fight. Instead, you stay and you really feel the experience but not being a slave for that. Thank you. Okay. Thank you so much again for being here and staying until the end. I appreciate that. So, till next time. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, Maho. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Hey, visit our website, ny.chambala.org for all of our upcoming courses and weekend retreats. If you happen to live in a different city, there's probably a Shambhala Meditation Center near you. But if you are in the New York City area, our weekly Dharma gathering is every Tuesday night. You're invited. You can come hear these talks live and in person, meet your fellow travelers on the journey of meditation, and uh, it's a good time. Email us at podcast at shambhalanyc.org. Your questions, comments, suggestions. Don't forget to tell your friends about the podcast and we'll see you next time. You'll see me. I'll I'll be heard by you. Later. <laughs>